0: If you join me a Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah chapter 15. We finished partway through verse 7 last week, but as a reminder, verse 6 said, You have forsaken me, says the Lord. What's it mean to forsake the Lord? It means to turn your back on and walk away from. You have gone backward, not toward me, you've gone away from me. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. What's he mean by relenting? That means holding
1: back. The going
0: to come. Yeah, it means holding back. He's tired of giving them more and more and more chances. His judgment's about to fall. The hammer's going to hit soon. Verse 7. And I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. We talked about that last week. How when you cut down the stalks of grain, you bring them to a threshing floor. You have an ox pull a heavy board or or a tree stump across them to break the grain away from the stalk. And then you throw everything up in the air and the grain's heavy. It falls back to the floor, but the chaff just blows away in the wind. And by the way, it blows away toward Babylon. Which is exactly the way the children of Jerusalem here are going to go. He says, I will bereave them of children. What does it mean to bereave them of children? children? The children are going to go, aren't they? They're going to either go into captivity, they're going to die. There's going to be none left. He says, I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. What does that word return mean? Repent. And that's where we start tonight. What does repentance mean? Today, people seem to have the attitude that repentance means saying, gee, I'm sorry, God, I won't do it again for the next three minutes. That's not repentance. Let's go to Joel chapter two. What's that, Daniel? Or, about what Jesus or they'll say, change your mind about who Jesus is, but yeah, we can show easily from the book of Revelation, that's not what it means. But go to the book of Joel, chapter 2. I want to talk a little bit about what does it mean? Instead of just, what doesn't it mean? What is it? Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is about the day of the Lord. It's about the wrath of God being poured out in the world. And when the wrath of God is being poured out in the world, you have two different reactions. You have some people who repent, turn to God, and accept Messiah as Savior. And you have others that will shake their fist in God's face and curse him to his face. Which one do you think will survive the tribulation period? The former. But look at verse 12. Now, therefore, therefore, we have to look back to verse 10. What's he mean, therefore? The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Now, therefore, the therefore is because the day of the Lord, the judgments are so great and severe that people's hearts will be failing them for fear. They literally will die of fright. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me. And that's what we want to focus on. Turn to me means what? Means to repent, to come back toward me instead of going away from me, as he said in Jeremiah chapter. What chapter were we in? 15. 15, verse 7. I knew you were listening. Turn to me, how, though? With all your heart. That's not an insincere, oh, sorry, God, I shouldn't have done that, is it? It's a breaking of the heart to realize. That our sin is so, so much more significant than we give it credit for. Close your eyes, unless you're writing, and think back to the Garden of Eden. God told Adam, Don't eat from that tree, and he ate from the tree. That one violation of a commandment caused what? Death. The death of all mankind. It brought death into the world, not just to people, but to animals, to vegetation. Death now reigns. That's how serious sin is. It cost God, his only begotten son, who died for us in Calvary's tree. That's how serious sin is. That's why, keep a finger here in Joel, go to the book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul understood the magnitude of sin and what it means and how serious it is. And you cannot seriously repent until you realize the seriousness of sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what's his answer? God forbid the King James. Certainly not the New King James. Made you if you got the Greek. No way, Jose, if you got my personal translation. But it says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What's he trying to get across to the believers at Rome? Is sin something to play with? Is it something minor or insignificant? Or is it something that's so very serious that one who truly loves the Lord should never be able to do it should never be able to do it flippantly easily what does it say keep a finger still in joel and go to first john first john chapter 3 starting in verse 1 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Behold. What does behold mean? Is something minor coming or something really significant? Really significant. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. John says, do you understand the magnitude of that? We who are sinners, we who deserve death, God loved us enough to give us away to be called his very own children. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he's revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, what hope? That we're going to see God as he is. We're going to be his children. We're going to be gathered together. We're going to live in his presence. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Just as he is pure. Meaning we want to be as pure and holy as he is. Because we want to be in his presence. Can you live a lifestyle of lawlessness and sin. And live in the presence of God. You cannot. So verse 4 says whoever. Does that say any Jewish person? No, it says whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. That's what sin is. It's breaking God's commandments. When God told Adam, don't eat from the tree, and he ate from the tree, he broke God's commandment. That's sin. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Meaning if you abide in Messiah, you can't bring yourself to intentionally sin against God. It would hurt too much. You know that my sin caused Messiah to be nailed to a tree. To be beaten so badly that the organs were, were actually, uh, you know, it's too horrible even to say says, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Meaning if you can sin flippantly with a, well, I'll, I'll just repent afterwards. It'll be okay. He says, it's because you don't know him. You don't understand the depth of pain that it causes God. And it says in verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Why would John say let no one deceive you? Because there's false teachers out there who will deceive you if you will let them. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That word practices. Did you see that word in Matthew seven twenty three? He who practices lawlessness. What does Messiah say to him? I never knew, I never knew you. Depart from me. So he who practices righteousness is righteous. And without righteousness will we see God? We will not. Verse 8 says, he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil, meaning what? That he might bring an end to sin. To bring an end to lawlessness. To bring an end to people rebelling against God and saying, I'll do what I want and God will just have to lump it. Not that we would just continue in it. Not that we would just continue in it. What did Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May
1: That's the mentality
0: most of the church today is that sin is not that significant. It's okay. God understands. He doesn't mind. Verse 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. That is, you cannot just sin openly, outwardly, in rebellion and think that you've been born of God. It says, for his seed remains sin, me, cannot sin, because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Well, that's Matthew 7.23. It's just said the other way. Matthew 7.23, the one who practices lawlessness, depart from me. The one who does not practice righteousness, depart from me. It's one and the same. Now back to Joel chapter 2, because we didn't finish verse 12. Turn to me with all your heart. What does that mean? Is that a casual, gee, sorry, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know, maybe yes, maybe no, I don't know. It says, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Do you see how serious God says repentance is? It's a, what did I do? How could I have done that? Fasting. Put away the food. Just, just give yourself in prayer to God saying, how can I do that to you? With weeping over the sins and how you've hurt God and how your sin cost Messiah his life. And with mourning, that's mourning over your sins. How can I do that? And in verse 13, so the first step is recognizing I sinned, look what I did. The second is being broken hearted about it. But the third part is in verse 13. And this is the essence and heart of repentance. So rend your heart and not your garments. To rend your heart, that is to be circumcised of the heart, means to change your ways. The true essence of repentance is don't do it again. That's how you show God that your repentance is real. Sitting in the ashes, fasting, mourning, weeping, all that is to show how broken hearted you are. But the essence of it is don't do it again. Change your heart. Let your heart say never again. Surrender your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Meaning when you're way over here, come back to God and say, God, I want to do it your way. Let's go over to the book of Amos. You know, something, interesting too, verse something interesting too in verse 12 and 13. 12 and 13 where, it says, where it says turn to me. In verse 13 where it says return, verse 13 where it says, return. are they suggestions? They're both shuvu. They're both shuvu. They're both commandments. Just like in Ezekiel 18 where he says shuvu, shuvu, he repeats it over and over, doesn't he? he's He's not just talking to one person, he's talking collectively. Right, shuvu is plural, it's to the entire group. Each one is to take it to heart individually. I circle those two words in my Bible, in verse 12, the turn, and verse 13, the return, because it is the same word, and it's a commandment. Why does God command us to return? If you want to be my people, this is the first step. Does God want to cast us in the lake of fire? That's not his first choice, is it? What does 2 Peter chapter 3 say? God wants that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone, but the next word is but. Yeah. Let's go on to the book of Amos. Good points, Daniel. On to the book of Amos chapter 5. Amos is just maybe 8 or 10 pages to the right. Chapter 5. Amos, chapter 5, verse 4. For thus says the Lord, that's the Tetragrammaton, that's our Messiah, to the house of Israel, to the entire Commonwealth Seek me and what? Live. Meaning you can repent and come back to me and live or you can not repent, live in your sins, die in your sins and burn for eternity. God loves us enough to let us spend an eternity in the lake of fire if that's really what we want. But I saw an interesting meme on Facebook this week that said something to the effect of If the living knew what the dead knew, they'd all be repenting now. And there was a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom in that. If people truly believed that God meant that there is a lake of fire that burns forever and ever, they wouldn't want to go there. So people who choose the lake of fire, why do they choose it? Because they don't really believe. That's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the
1: rich man said, you know, go tell my, my brothers
0: the rich man said, Go tell my brothers so they won't come here. And I said, if he won't hear the law and the prophets, they not hear one And the Lord said, If he if they won't hear the law and the prophets, they wouldn't hear even if one rose from the dead. Yeah. Go to Zephaniah. Some of you are going, there's a Zephaniah in my Bible? Yes, there is. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So we're about another 10 or 15 pages from Amos. Zephaniah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 1. Are we there? It says, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. That word undesirable means shameless. Verse 1 means repent and come back to me. Verse 2, before the decree is issued. So repent before the decree is issued and it's too late. What word appears over and over again in the book of Hebrews in the first few chapters today? Today is the day of salvation. And that's what Zephaniah 2 verses 1 and 2 is about. Is gather yourselves together and come back to me. Repent, turn to me before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. What happens to the chaff? It gets burned up in the fire. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. That word meek means humble. It's a word that appears a lot in the Beatitudes. Who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Once one has repented, they will seek righteousness. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. So if you're seeking righteousness, it means you've turned away from lawlessness. Seek humility. Seek to be humble before the Lord. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Oh, Yom HaKi ha. Kise, huh? It's another term for which of these seven appointed times? Yom Teru of the Feast of Trumpets. May you be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Let's go to Zechariah. Yes, ma'am, Miss Mulaney. Verse 4 says, For Gaza shall be forsaken. And Ashkelon desolate. This is a sign that it's almost too late. That the Lord's return is coming. That the day of the hiding is on the horizon. Somebody this week when I said our toes are hanging over the edge of humanity. They said, or of eternity. They said well, was more like the balls of the feet now. You know, we're really getting close. And that's true, we are. Hmm. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday and Ekron shall be uprooted. Boy, have you seen what's going on down in Gaza these days? Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, but go to Zechariah chapter 1. Another five or eight pages to the right. Yeah, the moral of that story is you don't mess with God. Why are they attacking Israel? Because they're attacking God. Saw another cute little cartoon. You got this big Hamas soldier stepping on this Jewish star and the point hurts his foot and he starts screaming, disengage, disengage. Okay. Okay. What's that, Daniel? Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. Do verse 4. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, what's that word saying? What follows is a quote. This is from the very lips of God. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Talking about guys like Manasseh. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts. What kind of judgment? In times. Lord of hosts. Adonai Zavaot means the Lord commanding the armies of heaven. The word Zavaot means armies. Return to me. That's another way of saying what? Repent. Why doesn't God ever use the word repent or repentance in the New Testament? Have you wondered? It's what, 58 times he uses it? But at any rate, return to me, says Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you, says Lord of hosts. Look at that promise. Who must move first? We have to move first. You repent, and come back to me. And God says, I'll return to you. We'll come back together. And
1: notice it doesn't say God's going to move
0: you. It doesn't say God's going to move you. I mean,
1: because that's kind of that mentality of people saying that
0: repentance is a work. That's the mentality of people that say repentance is a work. You can't repent because that's a work. You're trying to earn your salvation. Here's God Himself saying, "You better move. If you want me to move?" What was the first word out of Messiah's mouth after His baptism, His temptation by Satan, and His surviving the temptation and defeating Satan? I guarantee
1: you, it was shuvu.
0: The first word was repent. Shuvu. Repent for the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Okay, keep a finger here. We don't have to bet. We can just go look. It's in the Book of Luke, chapter four. Well,
1: I'm just saying. I bet
0: if we looked at the Hebrew he was speaking. Oh, ah. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay, you're right. So let's stay in Zechariah chapter 1. You guys are going, wait a minute, we have electronic. We've got to get back there now. Zechariah chapter 1, we didn't do verse 4. We end up with verse 3. We have to return to the Lord before he returns to us. Verse 4, do not be like your fathers. To whom the former prophets preached, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways, your evil deeds, but they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. So what is the lesson of verse 4? God has sent prophet after prophet and said, Repent, and the people said, No. You'll just have to bless us anyway. How well does that work out?
1: Well, since God keeps telling them, I'm not going to bless you.
0: Says God keeps telling them, I'm not going to bless you till you return. Verse 3, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. If you want your heart blessed, look at pictures of the city of Jerusalem back in 1992 versus today. What you see today is Messianic Jews all over the city of Jerusalem and all over the land of Israel. As the people are coming back to God more and more. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Occasionally people say, Wayne, if you just read the New Testament, well, okay, let's read the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, That is the time that the devil finishes tempting him and Yeshua beat the devil. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and to say what's the very first word? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does he mean that, well, even if you don't repent, you can come into the kingdom and be... No, he doesn't mean that, does he? If he truly means repent, stop sinning, What is sin? Breaking God's commandments. So what if the main doctrine of today's church is we don't need to keep God's commandments. Jesus did that so you don't have to. We can walk in sin and it's okay. What did Messiah say? He He said, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he think he meant by by no means? No
1: way, no how. No way, no how. It ain't going to happen. So he's pretty much saying, you better be keeping my commandments. You better, like, not He's
0: saying, you better be keeping my commandments out of what? Out, out of faith. faith. Do you do it with a sense of, oh darn it, I got to keep this commandment? What's he mean by with the whole heart? And
1: that's the essence of faith.
0: Love and devotion. That's right. We keep God's commandments because we want to. That's the sign of a child of God. Even if God didn't threaten us with the lake of fire, we do it simply out of love. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn back to Matthew chapter 3. Isn't that what John the Baptist was preaching? Verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, what is the gospel of the kingdom? It's repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. In our world today, we don't treat sin as if it's something serious. We treat it as if it's something minor that God can get over. What did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word for, what does it mean? Because. Because. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? If you're not repented up, then you're not entering the kingdom. you'll You'll miss it. It's like the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Why did five of them miss the boat? They weren't ready. They didn't have oil. Oil's a picture of the Holy Spirit. They waited too late. Another meme I saw this week that I really like says, one of the devil's biggest tricks is making you think you got plenty of time. Plenty of time. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Does this tell us what repentance is? He didn't come to call the righteous to change their verbiage on who Messiah is. He came to call the sinners to repent, that is to turn away from their sins and to turn back to him and to do it with all their heart. What's he mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? When did he bring the sacrifice? After you sinned. He wants you not to do the sin in the first place, rather than need to come and bring the sacrifice. That's what Paul was getting at in Romans 6.1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, so that we can commit a sin and run and say, now Jesus, forgive me and put your blood upon it? God wants you to stop sinning in the first place. Go to Acts chapter 2. You guys know what's coming there, don't you? We looked at what John said. We looked at what Messiah first said. Now let's look and see what Peter first says. Acts chapter 2. The time is the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. Church today calls it Pentecost. There are Jews from all over the world that have gathered in Jerusalem because it's the festival. It's one of the three Shalosh Regalim, the pilgrim festivals, where God requires the righteous to come. And that's why they're there, because of their righteousness. Acts chapter 2. Peter has preached a sermon that cut him to the heart. They called for Messiah to be crucified because they were there when he was crucified. They called, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter's explained that he truly is the promised Messiah, the only begotten son of God, and you killed him. And they are cut to the heart. That's the first step of repentance is recognizing the sin and how serious it is. So they say, in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, what's his first word? Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And do you see any of them say, Oh, I don't want to repent. I just want to be forgiven. No? Hmm. I have searched and searched the New Testament, looking for Messiah somewhere to say, Your sins are forgiven, now go sin again. And I have not found it. Yahweh says what? Now go and sin no more. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and be converted. Yeah it's not really converted. What is it Daniel? It's which means return to God. It means to return to God. Yep it doesn't mean to change religions. <laughs> it doesn't. It means to stop sinning and come back to God. That your sins may be blotted out. The word that is very important. It means this is the consequence of repentance in returning to God. Is your sins will be blotted out. What if you say, I'm not going to repent. I just want my sins blotted out.
1: Sorry, that work that way.
0: Doesn't work that way. Repent therefore and be returned to God. Epistrefo. That your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refresh you may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Yeshua the Messiah who was preached to you before. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's the Messianic kingdom. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Hmm.
1: And
0: that shows you right there that the the crucifixion was not an afterthought. afterthought. He's the lamb slain from the foundation foundation of the world. That's right. That restoration of all things things has been preached by the holy prophets since the world began. Who's the first prophet in the scriptures according to the Jewish people? Adam. Adam. Yeah, he was there firsthand. Well, oh, let me tell you how you screw up and how you repent and get right with God. Okay. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Oh, my, my. We got to stop in chapter 10. Verse 35 just jumped off the page. Verse 35. Verse 34 ends with, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, that word nation means what? The Gentiles throughout the world. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Now, where's the verse that says, "But in every nation, whoever refuses to fear him and works lawlessness is accepted by him"? Well, that one's not there anywhere. So, what does it mean to fear God and work righteousness? It means to repent, stop sinning, come back to God, and do that which is right. Verse thirty-four, the one before it. Says, one before it says God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality, meaning Jew or Gentile makes no difference. So, I mean, The same standard that applies to the Jewish people applies to the Gentiles. Gee, why doesn't the Bible say circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God is what matters? Yeah, yeah, it does. First Corinthians, you're right. Let's go on to Acts chapter 11, though. I'll try not to make any more detours on the way. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles what? Repentance to life. Where are you? Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Verse 13, sorry. No. Now that you're there, what does it say in your Bible? Then God has granted to the Gentiles what? Repentance to life. Repentance to life. There is no verse that says, God has also granted life where there is no repentance. It's just not there. Maybe we should call tonight's teaching why repentance is a good idea. Acts 17. Why am I spending so much time in the book of Acts? Because this is where people say says we're not supposed to keep the law anymore. To on Sunday, law been all those Go to church on Sunday, law has been abolished, all those things. They're not here. Eat unclean, not, not here. Acts chapter 17, verse
1: 30.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Gentiles only have to do four things to be saved. Yeah, yeah, okay. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands who? All men everywhere to what? To repent. Because. Because tells why. Why is it important? God could just hit us with the stick, but he also gives us the carrot. Because he has appointed a day. We call that day Judgment Day. It's part of the day of the Lord. On which he will judge the world in righteousness. What's the standard? righteousness do you walk in righteousness or do you walk in lawlessness pretty easy standard kind of like a true false test didn't you like true false tests in school in law school they do a variation they do true falses where the statement's neither entirely true nor entirely false and you have to answer whether it's more true or more false Ugh. They just do that to harass people. Okay. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. That's our Messiah Yeshua. All judgment has been given to the Son according to the book of John. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what's the point of verses 30 and 31? God commands us all to repent because judgment day is coming and he wants everyone to be saved. But then there's that 2 Peter chapter 3. The next word is but. People will choose not to be. Why? Because of a lack of faith. What does Hebrews chapter 3 remind us? That disobedience is caused by a lack of faith. Hmm. Let's stay in the book of Acts and go to chapter 20. Verse 21. Now, is this the Apostle Paul teaching? This is the Apostle Paul teaching. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, meaning Gentiles. So Paul taught everybody, he wasn't picky. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. You might see an or in a sentence. What is repentance toward God? That means stop breaking God's commandments, repent, and turn back to God. And faith toward our Messiah, Yeshua, is integrally related. Compare Acts twenty twenty one with Exodus Chapter twenty Exodus Chapter twenty Verse five and six. talking about idols carved images says you shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity that's lawlessness of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments how does that compare with Acts chapter 20 verse 21 Just another way of saying the same thing, isn't it? The faith toward our Lord Yeshua the Messiah comes from our faith and love. And then compare these both to Revelation 14, 12. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New Testament during the days of the apostles, and one's in the future yet to come. John 14.12 Revelation 14.12 which was written by John thank you here is the patience of the saints here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Yeshua is that any different from Acts 20.21 testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Yeshua the Messiah it's exactly the same God has not changed. Let's go to Acts chapter 26, verse 20. Acts chapter 26, verse 20. This is Paul talking to King Agrippa, making his defense. We'll start in nineteen, because that starts the speech by Paul. Acts twenty-six, nineteen. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should number one, what? Repent. Number two, turn to God. Number three, do works befitting repentance. That word works is ergon. So what does it mean to repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance? It means repent of your sins, turn to God, and walk in righteousness to show that your heart is truly changed. If I get down on my knees tonight and I repent to God of my sins, And do the same sins in the morning when I get up. And repent tomorrow night. And do the same sins the next day when I get up. Have I truly repented? Or am I just trying to avoid the punishment? Trying to avoid the judgment. That doesn't work. Well that was Acts. How about the book of Romans? Surely the book of Romans says something different. Go to Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, impenitent means unrepentant, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who are rendered to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. The Torah, Psalm 119 verse 142. But obey unrighteousness. What are they storing up? Indignation and wrath. Tribulation and anguish. And every soul and man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, meaning the Gentile. And then it gets down to verse 7 which says there's no partiality with God. What's the point of Romans chapter 2? There's two
1: categories.
0: There's two categories the repentant and the unrepentant. The repentant are on the path to eternal life, the unrepentant are on the way to the lake of fire. Doesn't God keep telling us that there's two groups? In Isaiah 66, he calls them what? My servants and my enemies. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he talks about two roads. A wide road and a narrow road. Which one's leading to eternal life? The narrow road. Romans 3.31 I think my chin probably hit the floor first time I read that and understood it. It says, do we then make void the law? That's the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God through faith. Answer, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Meaning we make the law valid, certain, enforceable, supported, whatever terms you want to use. It's like a Bridge that's sinking, and you put a pillar underneath it to make it healthy and strong again. That's what our faith does for the law. It doesn't abolish it. It doesn't abolish the need for it. Yeah,
1: because if you just obey the law and don't have love and faith, it's pretty empty.
0: Yeah, you can't. You can't. You never be able to do it. Yeah. You never be able to do it. The love and the faith has to come first. Obedience is an outgrowth of your faith and your love. Do you really believe that God will do what he said? That's what faith is, Imuna. God said he will do it. I believe he'll do it, whether I want him to do it or not. Then, of course, we hit chapter 6, verse 1, and we already talked about what should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How should we who died to sin live any longer in it? Is there anything in those verses that suggests we should go back to sinning to make God happy? The answer is there is not. Because verse 16 of the same chapter, Romans 6.16, says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether a sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So if you're unrepentant and continue walking in sin, where does verse sixteen say you're on the way to? Death. Death. That's talking about the lake of fire. Well, that's Romans. Let's go to Second Corinthians. I'm still looking for some place that says go ahead and sin, it's okay. I'm going to be looking for a long time. Se- You just have to take it out of context. You just have to take it out of context. Yeah, Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) You can quote
0: me. I can quote you, that's right. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verses one and two. I won't go through all the don't touch that which is unclean. Not much, anyway. But chapter seven, verse one says, Therefore, that's the therefore. Don't touch that which is unclean. Which means don't cling to it. Don't refuse to let it go. Therefore having these promises that we can be the children of God if we will stop sinning and repent and come back to God. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. From which portion? What percentage of the filthiness of the flesh? 100%. You mean I can't just keep the The shrimp or the lobster? No. And spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh my goodness, there's that word holiness. Without holiness, one will not see God. God. That word holiness is from the same root as Revelation 14, verse 12. The saints, the hagios, are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Messiah Yeshua. So verse 2 says, open your hearts to us. The message has to reach the heart. You have to love God. You have to have faith in God. You have to believe. Or you'll never get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. It's part of the same letter. Written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was made up of Gentile people. Or at least an ecclesia. You got a lecture coming up on that. I'm looking forward to that one. Verse 10 says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So godly sorrow is sorrow over our sins. If you truly are heartbroken over your sins, you will stop doing them. Second Corinthians 12. The doesn't that almost sound like salvation is the goal? Yes, it does. And 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Lest when I come again, Paul talking about coming to visit this church at Corinth or this ecclesia, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Why? If they have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness, which path are they on? They're on the broad path leading to destruction. And Paul said, I would have to mourn for you. Because if you don't change your conduct, you're heading for the smoking section. Hebrews chapter 6. People will argue with me, but I say Paul wrote Hebrews. You know, that part of 2 Corinthians, that part of the 2 Corinthians I just read?
1: That's written,
0: those are written to believers. Those are written to believers. at least they call themselves believers and Paul's saying if you're doing these things you're not really and that's
1: going to just leapfrog into what you're about to read and
0: that's going to leapfrog into what I'm about to read because you know where I'm going the end of chapter 5 of Hebrews is by now you should be teachers but you still need the milk of the word that's what chapter 6 verse 1 starts with is therefore Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah. Elementary meaning the very basic principles. Let us go on to perfection. Where perfection there means spiritual maturity. Not that we're ever going to be perfect. Not laying again the foundation of. When Paul says foundation, just think of 1 Corinthians 3.11. There's no other foundation that anyone can lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah, Yeshua. Salvation is by faith. There's no other way. So laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So repenting, turning away from your sin and obeying the commandments of God and the faith toward God. That's the basic principle. That's the foundation. If you don't have that, what do you have? Nothing. You
1: can't build a roof until you build a
0: foundation. (laughs) Can't build a roof until you have at least walls to put it on, right? Yeah. 2 Peter chapter 3, we keep talking about it. Now it's time to put our eyes on it. 2 Peter comes right after 1 Peter, if that helps. I didn't think it would. 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness. That is the promise to return for his bride. But his long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Means that's his heart's desire. Is that every single person. Will come to faith. And it doesn't say come to faith. Does it does it come to repentance. But you've got to come to faith first. But there's that next word we keep talking about. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night. And part of the day of the Lord is judgment day. So the Lord will not hold off judgment day forever. That's why the book of Hebrews keeps using what word over and over again? Today. All right, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 15. We're now on to verse 8. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sand of the seas. What's going to happen to all the fighting men? They're going to die. I will bring against them, against the mother of the young men, a plunderer at noonday. That plunderer is Babylon. God says, Babylon is coming. I've called you to repentance. You've refused to repent. The plunderer is coming. Why would he call Babylon a plunderer? What's Babylon going to do? He's not just going to destroy the city and kill the people going to steal stuff. You're going to take everything that was in the temple of God. You know what? That causes the downfall of Babylon, doesn't it? Yep. I will cause anguish and terror to fall on them suddenly. Go to Daniel chapter 5 and let's see what I mean by it causes the downfall of Babylon. Daniel chapter 5. It's why whenever somebody says to me, I wish God would write on the wall for me, I say, no, you don't. Uh-uh. No, that was not a good message. Daniel 5.1, Belshazzar the king, he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While they tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, meaning grandfather, the word Av in Hebrew is any male ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. So they're drinking from the vessels stolen from the house of God and praising their false gods with them. Verse 5, in the same hour the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote. What did he write? Mine, mine, takeo you And his kingdom fell when? That very night. So let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 15. Verse 8 says Babylon's coming. Because you refuse to repent. Did God give him an opportunity to repent? Yes, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet. And they kept putting the prophets to death. Jeremiah's life is being threatened even now as we read these words. So verse 9, she languishes who has born seven, meaning seven children. To give birth to seven children is a phrase meaning complete happiness. That the nest of children is complete. Keep a finger here and go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 5. Every mother back then wanted to have at least seven healthy, strong children. Women today would go, "Uh-uh, but back then it was different. First Samuel chapter two, verse five. Hannah is praying. Remember who Hannah's son is? Samuel. Samuel yeah. So verse five says, "Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger." Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. So even the barren has borne seven. It's a sign of hey, Great harvest. Then to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. I'm calling. Ruth chapter 4. It's such a small book. Yep. <laughs> Two pages from where I was at. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There it is, Ruth chapter 4, verse 15. We'll start in 13 for context. Boaz is the judge of Israel. In the book of Judges, he's called Ibsen. Boaz is a nickname, just like Elijah was called Eli, etc. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. That's Boaz, the kinsman, redeemer. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. See, the blessing they say comes from having seven sons. And they say that she's better than all that. Because from her comes whom David from him comes Messiah, just a little tidbit from the sages of old there were two daughters-in-law one was called Ruth, the other was called Orpa Ruth means friend, Orpa means stiff-necked Ruth stayed with Naomi Orpa went back to his people her people, and Ruth was the Progenitor progenitor, that's a good way to put it, of David, where Orpah was of Goliath, they say. So back to Jeremiah, chapter 15, up to verse 10. No, we didn't finish nine. We got to finish nine. We still have enough time even. She languishes who was born seven. She has breathed her last. So even though she had a pastel full of kids, they're all dead. And she's gone. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. You see the great destruction. And Jeremiah is having to deliver this message, and it breaks his heart. Verse 10 says, woe is me, my mother, that me is Jeremiah. Really crying out to his mother. And remember, if you're not a horse, woe is a bad thing. So woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me. He's in such pain, he wishes he'd never even been born. A man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. Everybody hates him because he's preaching a message of destruction if they don't repent, and they're not going to repent. He says, I've neither lent for interest which is a sin. Nor have men lent to me for interest. But every one of them curses me. Why if he's a prophet. Do they curse him? They don't like what he has, like when he has to say. There's how many false prophets. Telling him everything's fine. Don't worry. God will take care of everything. You don't have to Repent. uh, Jeremiah says, I wish I'd never been born. He's hated for preaching the word of God. Let's go to Exodus chapter 22, verse 5. Exodus 22, verse 5. You know, something else you don't see very often in scripture is somebody putting their hand up and going, may I be a prophet, please? (laughs) No, you don't see that. They had a for prophets. They did have schools for prophets. Yep. Isaiah
1: said, "Send me."
0: Send me. Isaiah said, "Send me." That's in Isaiah six. Yep. That's why I said not often. Mm-hmm. Exodus chapter twenty-two, verse five. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed. And lets loose his animal and feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution for the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. That wasn't the best example. But what Jeremiah is saying is, I have not wronged the people. And God has remedies back here, judgments for what happens if you do wrong people. But he says, I haven't. So just go to Leviticus 25 for maybe a better example. Leviticus 25. verse
1: 35
0: yeah this is a better example Leviticus 25 verses 35 to 37 if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. And in Deuteronomy 23, the Lord reinforces that. Deuteronomy 23. Verses 19 to 20. Deuteronomy 23 verses 19 to 20. You shall not charge interest to your brother. Interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. To a foreigner you may charge interest. But to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you and all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. Do you realize this is how the Jews got to be the bankers across Europe? Because this was the rule in the Christian churches, that Christians couldn't charge each other interest, so they forced the Jews to be the bankers so they could charge interest, and then the Christians would take the money, the profits from the Jews. Yeah, just a little history. Back to Jeremiah.
1: Kind of like hiring a Christian to run your store on Saturday.
0: Yeah, don't do that. Verse 11. They do that, but they shouldn't do that. The Lord said, This is an oath to Jeremiah. The Lord is trying to comfort Jeremiah because Jeremiah wishes he'd never been born. So verse 1, the Lord says, Surely it it shall be well with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity and in the time of affliction. So the Lord says, Jeremiah, you and yours, you're going to be okay. I'm going to make sure that the enemy doesn't destroy you when they destroy the rest of Jerusalem and the rest of Judah. So it's actually an oath that the Lord has taken to protect Jeremiah and his when the time of destruction comes. Is
1: he talking about like Jeremiah's
0: children, or is he talking about like the people? Like Baruch, the scribe that worked with Jeremiah, and he took supposedly Tiatefi with him and some others that were loyal to God. There was there was a remnant.
1: There was a remnant. Not, was, he was he
0: married? I don't know. Was he He's about to tell. Lord's about to tell him not to get married in Jerusalem.
1: I know, I know Ezekiel's wife died. Yeah.
0: So they don't actually mention a wife right here, but God does tell him not to get married and have children in Jerusalem. He's got to wait. So verse 12. Can anyone break iron? The northern iron and the bronze makes no sense unless you realize, of course, that you can't with your hands break a piece of iron and we're talking about Israel is like a piece of iron. Hmm. So if Israel's like a piece of iron, how can Israel get broken? God has to allow it. God has to allow it. And notice the next line, the northern iron and the bronze, that's talking about Babylon. So the northern... Babylonian arm that's coming is like an iron alloy that's even stronger than iron. So the iron they can't break with their hands but with the alloy that will break the iron of Israel. That was clear as mud. But I think you guys understand it. Alloys are super strong. That's exactly what he's saying. And it's because that God gives them the authority and the power to break Israel that they have the alloy that will break the iron of Israel. Verse 13, your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price. I mean, you don't get to sell it. They're just going to come in and take it because of all your sins throughout your territories that's why god's going to allow it the false prophets are saying god would never allow his temple to be destroyed and god says oh yes i will why because of your sins what are we talking about go back to second kings chapter 25 The Jewish people are the only people that are fortunate enough to have all their sins recorded in the book for everybody to see. 2 Kings chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. 2 Kings 25, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon... And all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. They built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. That's a long time. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. What do you think they mean by no food? No food. Then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between two walls which is by the king's garden even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city and the king went by the way of the plain. Remember we read in Jeremiah that the women were bereft of their husbands? All those that are of fighting age they've just run away. They left the wives and children behind.
1: Now this is, this is a, the illustration of that iron and the iron alloy because the iron is kind of like Jerusalem thinking like we're impenetrable. We can't, nobody
0: can. Yeah, Jerusalem thought they were impenetrable like the iron. Right. But then here comes the alloy. In
1: verse 4 there's the alloy
0: breaking through the iron. Breaking through the iron, that's right. Verse 5, But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Rebla, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. So they kill all his sons so that none can reign after him. And he has to watch them die. Then they put out his eyes so it's the last thing he ever sees. So if anybody thinks the Babylonians were nice guys, this should put that to rest. Verse 8. And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon.
1: Plain. Yes, sir little thing about um, blinding someone um the belief was that um when you were blind you would you the last uh, the last thing you saw you would always have in your in your mind that you could actually see it so that was very specific they would do that as the very last thing before they killed you before right. they blinded you so that you would always have that image. They believed it stayed with you. Thank
0: you. It, it just shows the cruelness of the Babylonians, huh? But it says Nebuzarad, then the captain of the guard, the servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, that's the temple, and the king's house. All the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. Then Nebuzaradan the captain of the guard carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. The bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts in the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priests ministered. The fire pans and the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away. The two pillars, one sea and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord. The bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. How big's a cubit? 18 to 20 inches. And the capital on it was a bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits. And the network and pomegranates all around the capital were all of bronze. The second pillar was the same with a network. So, what did they take? Everything of value. Everything of value. The gold, the silver, and even the bronze, which I would say copper, but they like to say bronze in here. Back to Jeremiah. So, does this mean God got another one right? Yep, God got another one right. Verse 14. Lest we forget, why did it happen, verse 13 said? Because of all your sins throughout your territories. Was it a little boo-boo here and there? Or was it wanton lawlessness everywhere? It was the latter. Verse 14, and I will make you cross over with your enemies. Wait a minute. Cross over, that's the Hebrew word avar. That's where the word, what's that? That's where the word Hebrew comes from. Abraham crossed over from Babylon to the promised land. And now they're crossing over the other way. They're going back to Babylon from which Abraham was called. Abraham was called out of Babylon to come out of pagan idolatry to come worship the true and living God. And his descendants said, no, we want to worship the pagan gods, so God sent him back. It says, into a land which you do not know. Is that what Deuteronomy 28.36 said would happen? It's exactly what it said would happen. Deuteronomy 28.36. For a fire is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. A fire is kindled in my anger. What would anger God that much? They turned their back on God and gave their worship to pagan idols. Whenever God would bless them with great crops they would take a sacrifice to Bala Ishtar and thank them for the harvest. How long do you think God would put up with that before he would get a little irritated? He was very long suffering but
1: there came a time when he said no
0: more. He was very long suffering but there came a time when he said no more and this is it. This is the third time, right? He's told Jeremiah, "Do not pray for these people, because it's too late."
1: But you know, it's understandable because these they were supposed
0: to. But it's understandable because they were supposed to be lights to the world. Lights to the world. They're supposed to be showing the pagans that the pagans should be worshiping God, and instead they're what?
1: They're syncretizing it.
0: They're They're syncretizing with the pagans, saying, "You're right. We want to be worshiping your gods." Well, we'll throw God a lamb now and then. He's just going to have to like it, right?
1: Yeah,
0: wrong attitude, wrong, wrong, wrong. And
1: you know, that same mentality is prevalent today. You see, that same mentality.
0: That same mentality you say is prevalent today, I have to say you're right, unfortunately. So, at what happens in verse 15. Jeremiah is going to pray to God. So, In verse 10, he was, woe is me, my mother, wish I'd never been born, God's just spoken to him, and now Jeremiah's got to have a different attitude toward the Lord. O Lord, you know, actually in Hebrew it says you knew, but let's not get into tenses, remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away, knowing that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. It's a prayer that his life be spared. He knows that the people want to kill him. You know, they're going to put him in pits. They're going to do all kinds of things to try and kill him. And his prayer is, God, don't let them succeed because I need to continue preaching repentance. That's what he really wants. He says, In your enduring patience, I know I got a little upset and I was saying, Woe is me. But Lord, really, I'm here to do your will. I'm here to preach repentance. Don't let them get me. In that regard, Let's go to Matthew chapter 10 verse 22. Matthew chapter 10 verse 22. We're not quite there yet but we're not very far away from it. Matthew ten twenty two says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. The end of what? Oh, that's, the goal. that's the goal. The goal is Messiah's is returning in the kingdom. So this prophecy goes all the way to the time of the end. Those that are on God's side, as we get closer and closer to the day of the Lord, are going to become more and more hated. Can you see it in the world today? Can you see the world turning against people who will stand up for God? I keep thinking to myself that we are a blessed generation. As hard as things are, we know how things were back in the 50s and 60s. And how quickly the world has turned. And how quickly it's gone away from God. But I also think we will be here when the trumpet blows and we will get to stand before God. And that makes us so blessed. Go to Matthew chapter 19. But every word the Lord spoke will come to pass, including the fact that the Lord is going to hate us for standing up for the Lord. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Talking about the rewards that come with the messianic kingdom. That's what he means by verse 28's regeneration. That's the kingdom. Verse 20, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake, that is to preach the gospel, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So when people say, if we're going to get persecuted, why don't we just shut up and stop spreading the gospel, stop sharing, this is the answer. What did God tell us to occupy till he comes? We have jobs to do. And if you won't do it, who will? And if you won't do it now, when are you going to do it? So when we share the gospel and people rebuke us for it, I got some pretty good flaming today from some people who were, say, Hamas supporters. But you know what? You say, God said it's coming, it's coming. And you just go on. It's Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, you got to keep that in there, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Means a lot of people are going to give up. They're going to give in. They're going to say, I want people to like me. So I'm going to go along with the world. Wrong attitude. Matthew 24, 9. Matthew 24, 9. Verse 8 uses the word odin, which are birth pains. It's just a Greek word for birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Talking about those that are preaching the gospel in the tribulation period. Those that were not saved when the rapture and resurrection came. They got saved maybe by the preaching of the 144,000 or the two witnesses or the angels that fly around the globe, but they become believers. And what's the world going to try and do to them? Kill each and every one. Hmm. Acts chapter 9. But you see why people don't even try and hide their hatred?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just blatant. It's accepted.
0: It's just blatant. It's accepted. Yep. And it's going to increase more and more. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And it's, it's hatred
1: that's not even, like, you don't even, they don't even know the
0: people personally. And it's hatred not against people that you know personally, but because they take a stand for the Lord, right?
1: Right. Or they're just, for his name's sake.
0: Or there just a certain ethnicity that they assume will be on the Lord's side. Yep. Acts chapter 9, verse 16. Saul of Tarsus has met the Lord on the road. The Lord's given him a mission. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That is, when Paul was opposing God's children, the world loved Paul. But when Paul starts teaching the gospel message, they're going to turn on him. Is that what happened? He was beaten. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. Snake bit. And yet, what did he do? He kept preaching the gospel. He even said, boy, there's times I wish I could just die and be done with it and get on to heaven. But he said, but I got work to do. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verse 12. Why do we go on? Here's why we go on. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. What if nobody preached the gospel? If everybody said, I'm just going to shut up and stay home and stay safe. What about all these people who never would have gotten saved? Never would have heard the gospel in the first place? That's why we can't be quiet. If they come in and they put a sword to our throats and say, renounce this Yeshua guy or die, you've got to be willing to die. We will not turn away. Third John. We don't ever get to go to 3 John. Well, maybe that's an exaggeration. But we rarely get to go. How about that? 3 John chapter 1 verses 5 to 8. I know there's only one chapter. Verses 5 to 8. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. What does he mean went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles? Did they not go from group to group preaching the gospel and passing around the plate, <laughs> saying put ten percent of your income in there? No, they did not. It's that whole mentality, freely you received. It's that whole mentality from Matthew chapter ten, freely you've been given, freely you give. Yep, freely you've received, freely you give. So the Apostle Paul said the same thing. I could come in here and demand you to, to give me support, but I don't do that so you know that my message is real, that is pure, that is from the heart. Hmm. Must be Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. The I refers to our Messiah, Yeshua. Described in verse 1 as he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. And have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. And have labored for my name's sake. And have not become weary. So he commends them for what? They've continued to preach the gospel. To all who will listen. They've tested the folks who came in and said, hey I'm an apostle and let me teach you a different way. And said, nope, you're false. That's verse 4. You tells them there's one thing you're lacking. And what's that? You've left your first love. So they're continuing to preach the gospel, but they're not so much following the commandments of God anymore. Right? Because Messiah said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Doesn't it kind of sound like they're, they're keeping the commandments, but they're just kind of going through the motion? Doesn't it sound like they're keeping the commandments, but they're just going through the motion? Yes. So... They're losing the enthusiasm. They're more in the "We have to do it, don't we?" And that's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to be obedient because I gotta. He wants us to be obedient because we get
1: to. You know, and I think God. The reason God's saying that is because. You
0: think the reason God's saying that is because? If they're losing the love, they're also eventually going to lose the faith. That's why he tells them to what? What's that word? Repent. How many times does he say repent in verse 5? Twice in one verse. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. They hate the Nicolaitans who teach, oh, you don't have to keep those commandments. That's stupid. Don't do that. But they're losing the enthusiasm, the love. And what happens when the love of many grow cold? You just have to go back to Matthew chapter 24 and see what the Lord said. Matthew 24 is about the tribulation period. And he attributes their love growing cold to the false teachers. Matthew twenty four eleven. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Who taught them that lawlessness? The false prophets. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Yes, Daniel. Well, Messiah told the church at Ephesus that echoes what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, when he said if I have
1: the faith that I could remove mountains, but I don't have
0: love, I have nothing. If I have the faith such that I could remove mountains and not have love, I have nothing. That's right. Doc made that same point. Obedience without faith and love is not satisfying to the Lord. He wants your heart. Well, We've run out of time for today, we'll have to pick up here next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16.